Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And thanks for joining us once again on the show. Coming up, we're going to talk some college football with the voice of the Texas A&M Aggies, Andrew Monaco. He is standing by in the virtual green room and will join us in just a moment. First, I want to lead off with what Golick and Wingo led off today on their radio show. I did not hear this myself, but got it on good authority that... uh, at 6 a.m., first hour of the show, Golik and Wingo lead with the NBA on, what is this? Uh, checking my calendar here on the wall. August 16th. Middle of August. NFL preseason going on. College football starting up. Baseball. We'll go with the NBA. <laughs> what? Yeah, you know, I mean the I now I don't know if this was the topic they talked about um, because my said source immediately bailed out at, at that point in time when they started the show that way, but um, <laughs> you know I guess Demarcus Cousins injury newsworthy but not show lead worthy uh, again uh, very odd. Now I know the NFL's in preseason and that's way overdone, way over talked about because nothing really is overtly decided, but there's some good stories there. And college football, you know, the, the the ramp up of the season's coming. And like I said, baseball, you know, got some got some interesting uh, uh chases for playoff spots. The NBA is in the deepest depth of their off season. And it leads a leads a show? I I don't get it, but uh interesting production decision there by the Four Letter Network. We are happy to welcome back to the podcast the voice of the Texas A&M Aggies, who spent time here in the Orlando market with the Orlando Magic, the Orlando Cubs, sometimes a fill-in host at WGTO of my old stopping grounds. Glad to have Andrew Monaco back with us. Andrew, how are you? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it. Hey, it's great to have you here. And uh, how do things look in year two under Jimbo Fisher on the horizon? I think there's still the excitement. Uh, We know last year at this time, we were all wondering what kind of team it was going to be. Well, year one, if it was a foundation year, I think there's quite a foundation now for uh, Texas A&M in this Jimbo Fisher era. Nine wins. The seven-overtime win over LSU, capped by a Gator Bowl victory over NC State. Um, just a lot of momentum going into the offseason and, and now into this second season. Um, a ton of excitement. Jimbo said, look, I, I'm going there for national championships. The schedule is certainly there <laughs> for Texas A&M this year. It is quite the gauntlet, uh, but... You know, if last year was the learning year of how Jimbo Fisher coached, but also what he expected, the expectations, um, now that foundation is laid and they can move forward. The sophomores, juniors, and seniors uh, now know what to expect, can teach the freshmen coming in. And it's not so much the learning period, it's the growing period, if you will, and, and move on to what's going to be the next stage. And, you know, Kellen Mond, at quarterback, uh, you know, he, he uh, really had a nice season a year ago, and I think uh, the, the trajectory is there for him to be even better. 
Yes. He went from last year battling with Nick Starkle to see who would be the number one quarterback to he is the number one quarterback. And, you know, for him to have the second year now uh, under Jimbo Fisher, learning last year, Jimbo said, I thought something, thought something interesting. He said, it, we were talking different languages. Well, now they speak the same language, and that happened over the course of the year. And now Kellen Mond is seeing things that Jimbo's seeing or even seeing things that Jimbo's not seeing because Kellen is is under center. I, I really do believe there is that trajectory for Kellen. I, I think he's going to get better. I think there's a there's an ownership as well as a leadership uh, for Kellen Mond. And this is a this is a young man who does not settle. Oh, last year was wasn't good enough. He always wants to get better, and for him, that's consistency, making the right decisions. He felt there would be a maybe a quarter or two or three series where he just wasn't sharp. He wants to fix that. Uh, he wants to to keep that that focus. He wants to be um, on top of everything uh, the entire game, and 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 you can see all those aspects, but especially the leadership of Kellen Mond. Yeah, and he has a, a pretty stealth receiving core to, to throw the rock to. Jeff, it's interesting. That last year I thought it was one of the biggest question marks for the team. And, and, and if you go back to two years when you lose a Christian Kirk, everyone was like, okay, who's going to step up? And I truly believe it's by committee. This is a, this is a receiving core that's going to have to do it by committee. But last year you had Courtney Davis who scores the tying touchdown against LSU in regulation, who scored the touchdown to tie it in the seventh overtime. He had to overcome a couple of injuries, including including a knee injury. He's back and healthy. Kendrick Rogers, who I don't know how this kid keeps growing, but now he's close to 6'5". He was listed at 6'2 at the beginning of the year last year. He's almost 6'5". He made nothing but great catches in that game against LSU and that followed up a terrific breakout performance against Clemson but I think the leader of that receiving crew really is Jamon Osmond who played with Kellen Mond at IMG Academy they were together um, Jamon is from the Houston area and I, there's just again he I, I hate to say possession receiver because it, it doesn't say enough for him I think he's a dependable receiver and 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 I think having the second year Kellen and I'm just naming those three, not Cam Buckley. I haven't named Caleb Chapman, who's, who's back from an injury. I just think that time together, all of last year, and then to set the tone for this entire team through the spring and that leadership, and then the seven on seven in the summer, and then to lead their respective for Kellen to lead the quarterbacks, for Jamon to lead the, the wide receivers. I think you're going to see them really, really on the same page. I think there's going to be some chemistry for for Kellen Mond with his receivers. How about on the defensive side of the ball? They did lose some uh, uh, NFL caliber type players, but uh, they seem to be pretty pretty loaded on that side of the ball too. Jimbo says you win games the guys with their hands in the dirt, and I think the defensive line just might be the strength of this Aggies defense. They did lose Dalen Mack and Kingsley Kiki to the NFL. They lost Landis Durham, a dependable end to the NFL. But Justin Matabike will probably be all SEC, one of the defensive tackles. And right alongside him is 
Bobby Brown III, a, a guy that the Aggies were able to get. He was going to go to Alabama, but he ended up picking, you know, picking Texas A&M, a freshman last year. They're going to move him to defensive tackle as well. And I, on the outside, you've got a Michael Clemens who's back from injury last year. He missed all of last season, but really worked on his body and, and kind of changed his game to be a little quicker. I, I think he's going to be more of that field rusher the, the on the field end, if you will, and Tyree Johnson. But it goes a lot deeper than the front four. Um, you've got guys, they've, they've got a, a five-star out of Converse Judson just outside of San Antonio and uh, DeMarvin Leal, who is in the mix as, as one of the backup uh, defensive ends. They've got Max Wright, who... This is a this is a kid who every time you look down and it was kind of a big play. Max Wright would find himself on the field. Like he didn't have a ton of snaps, but he seemed to be in on a lot of important snaps. So that was the trust that he earned as a freshman last year. I think they're deeper there. Linebacker, they lost two really good linebackers at Otaro Alaka and Tyrell Dotson. Dotson actually left a year early. Um, Dotson went to Buffalo and, and Alaka to Baltimore. But they think Buddy Johnson is the one who can take over in that middle linebacker spot. Anthony Hines missed all of last year, a, a knee injury. Uh, and up until his injury, he was probably going to be possibly the third linebacker. This this team usually plays with, with two linebackers, but when they want to stop the run, they need that third. Uh, that knee injury kept him out. So we were wondering, you know, how would he be? He, he looks terrific. If... if Buddy is that run stopper. Um, Anthony Hines can go sideline to sideline. But I think they're deeper. You, you kind of held your breath last year when it came to linebacker. They didn't have as much depth. They've got younger guys. There's a little, uh, a little lack of experience and snaps on the college level. But they got some, some, some high, high recruits. Uh, Andre White com- uh, comes from the uh, Pennsylvania area in Harrisburg, Harrisburg. Chris Russell is a Tennessee linebacker, and since Tyrell Dotson came out of Tennessee, we think that's going to be a good a good pipeline. The back end is the key, though. I'm not I'm not going to lie, and and they have to learn that those those defensive backs have to make open tackles. They have to defend better, and this is an entire defense. They've got Mike Elko for the second season, and I think if the offense gets Jimbo Fisher for a second season, I think this defense will be even better in the second season, and Mike Elko wants them to disrupt. They were great against the rush. It was against the pass, Um, and can they force more turnovers despite the time of possession um, last year? Uh, This defense, it will be good to, you know, get off the field quickly, give the ball back to the offense. Leon O'Neal Jr. is the one that I think is going to shine on that back end. He got his first career interception in the Gator Bowl. I do not think it's going to be <laughs> his last. Um, and they know that they've got to do their job. Like I said, uh, open field tackles, if a running back gets to the second level. Uh, and in a game against Mississippi State last year, Mississippi State converted on so many third and longs. It was demoralizing, led to a loss. I I think you're going to see an improved secondary. Mike Elko is the defensive coordinator, but he's also the secondary's coach, so you better believe they're going to get better. For those who have not taken in the 12th man experience, and I would be one of those, uh, how would you describe that phenomenon? Uh, At Kyle Field? You're talking about a, a game at Kyle Field? Yes, sir. Unbelievable! <laughs> it's, it's, look, I, you, you, we've known each other long enough. You, we love the, we love stadiums, we love arenas, we love game nights and game days. 
it's something special from the core that marches in, from Reveille coming in, from the, the players with their walk to Patton's beam playing 90 minutes before to tell you that uh, the, the, the gates are open to the students standing the entire game. Um, it is along the lines, the, the tailgating all over the place. Really, really interesting. Last year, talking with some some of the folks from Clemson, they were coming in in week two, and they were like, "Well, oh, so where should we eat in College Station?" I said, "I'm not trying to be funny with you. I say go to a tailgate. They will welcome you, and they will feed you, and you will have a great time. They are they they want to show off. There is a not just the tradition of standing, not just the tradition of midnight yell, and really, game day begins at midnight with with midnight yell, but. Aggies are proud. They, they, they want to make it an enjoyable experience. They're always going to put on, you know, they're, they're going to have their manners. Look, there's the core values of Texas A&M, and it's going to be those manners. Look, they want to win, but they, they're not going to taunt. They, and they won't even put up with that uh, by other people doing that. That's, there's good bull and bad bull, and that's real bad bull uh, when you do that. But to, they, you know, they've they've made this stadium over a hundred thousand now. Um, you can actually feel the press box shake when they are cheering, the cannons that go off, the yells that they have, the yell leaders leading leading all of that. It, it is an absolute special experience. And I thought last year, Dave Elmendorf, my partner, who's going into his. 30th year, and, and he's an All-American, a, a two-sport All-American at, at A&M, the longtime Los Angeles Ram. He also played baseball at, at A&M. And I kind of felt that he was watching through my eyes how the year was going to be. And I know in the Clemson game, he was asking me, can you feel, can you feel it shaking? I'm like, I certainly can, partner. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, I think it's wonderful. It's, it's a combination of inclusive. I think it's, you know, because of the way the school is, it's that it's the blue collar they love. Like last year, it was Cullen Gillespie was the twelfth man, and 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 Gilly runs out and he's getting everybody fired up, and they respond to all of that. It's I think it's it's unique. I think every college is unique. I really do. But it it, it seems like with 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 A and M, they want even the visitors to have a really good experience. But they are so into the games uh, that it, it really makes it for, I think, one of the joyous scenes in college football. Oh, man, that sounds exciting. So you, this week you were in Birmingham for uh, the SEC broadcasts and officials mm-hmm. meetings. I trust you guys probably went over some of the, the new rule changes for 2019? We did. And interesting, because Steve Shaw, who is the head of the football officials, was telling us that, that they uh, talk about rules and they change every two years. This was an off year. And now this year, it's more about the player safety. So they have tweaked the targeting rule uh, along the lines of you're not going to hear a call stands any longer. There's now going to have to be criteria. And for targeting, it's going to have to meet all three criteria along the lines of a defenseless player being hit. Now, that could be the the quarterback. It could be after a wide receiver makes a catch and and is moving. Um, There has to be the attack. On that tackle, does the player launch? Does the player lead with the helmet? And now with targeting, they put basically a halo on that helmet. So if you have the defenseless receiver and then they think that they attacked, but 
did not hit with the helmet. That, that third is what, what's called the indicator, and I think we're going to hear that word an awful lot this year, the indicator. If all three are not met, it is not targeting. What will be different this year is you can have roughing the passer and targeting. If there's no targeting, there's still going to be that 15-yard penalty for roughing the passer. It seemed last year you could have targeting, and, and we were actually wrong a couple of times. Our broadcast crew uh, in the game against Arkansas thinking, oh, well, if he's called for targeting, they take the targeting, it's still the, the personal foul. Not the case. This year you're going to hear the referees say it is personal foul plus targeting, the personal foul will stand no matter what. Player may be ejected, you know, if, he, if, if all the criteria are, are met for targeting. But if there is no targeting, you will still have blindside block, which could be a call plus targeting. Um, like I said, roughing the passer plus targeting. They'll, they'll look at that targeting part, but that personal foul will, will still stay in there. Again, it's all for player safety. And if they are going to err, they're going to err on the side of, of player safety, and, and, and I don't blame them. I think it's also a way they're getting rid of the uh, wedge. Like I said, the blindside blocks, a lot of that on special teams. I think they know that special teams is just still too important to college football. Can they still keep it in and, and make it safer? I think these are two really good things that they have added to the game. And uh, overtime now uh, is going to be a little bit different, too, basically born out of that uh, A&M-LSU game. Uh, So basically after five overtimes, they have to go alternating two-point conversions? Four. Four, you're going to play four. Yes, so in the fifth, the ball will be placed on the three-yard line, and it will be a two-point conversion. And that comes to – so the first four will be as normal. You can go for one or two in the first two. In the third overtime, you're going to have to go for two. You don't have a choice uh, any longer. But then uh, after four OTs, then the ball will be placed at the the three-yard line, and it will be nothing but two-point conversions. And the reason why – and Steve Shaw explained this – was – there were 244 plays in that game, Texas A&M and LSU. And again, this comes down to player safety. Could you imagine if those two teams had to play the next Saturday? That was the final game of the regular season. Mm-hmm. Their next games were their bowl games, so they had, they had time to recover. But again, how many plays do you want those student-athletes to be on the field? This will be, instead of... Uh, you know, you're still going to start from the 25, but then when you get the two-point conversion, that's just one play. And, you know, the, the players were, they were giving you everything in a game like that. And I think that's also part of that, that player safety. But we, we, we kind of know that, uh, that 74-72 probably is not going to happen <laughs> again in our lifetime unless everybody just hits nothing but two-point conversion. <laughs> but to get to 74 points in overtime, that's going to have to be a large number of two-point conversions <laughs> you're converting in those OTs. Yeah, and, and I guess it, you you brought up a good point. It was a good thing they did have the next week off because that game almost went into the next week. <laughs> <laughs> it did. From from pre-game to post-game, the, 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 the overtimes themselves were over an hour and a half. Uh, seven and a half hours in that in that broadcast. Uh, so six and a half of, of football uh, for that one, and truly a, an unforgettable game. Yeah. So let's take a quick look at some of the, get your thoughts on some of the other teams in the SEC. 
So let me stand way out on that limb and, you know, try not to fall off. I guess Alabama would be the favorite. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what Nick Saban has done. And I think that's the interesting thing. You know, Jimbo Fisher was his assistant at LSU. They were together. I mean, that was, that was a heck of a, a coaching crew there at LSU with Will Muschamp was part of that crew and Derek Dooley. And as I, I have learned, I believe Adam Gaze was also part of that crew. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, Freddie Kitchens may have, uh, Freddie Hitchens, who's in, in Cleveland may have been a part of that. Um, and, and that's who they have learned from. And, and, and Jimbo very much is like Nick Saban. Look, he, he has those teams play. And, and look, that's what I think made the Clemson national championship. So, not improbable. I don't want to say that because Clemson has talent. You didn't expect Alabama to play like that. They rarely play like that. They are giving you 60 minutes of football. You are the team that has to play perfect to beat Alabama because they are so good and they are loaded and their guys buy in. It comes down to the habits that you create. That is what Jimbo Fisher, I think, has learned and is instilling here at Texas A&M from uh, Nick Saban and and Jimbo being able to do that at Florida State and win that national championship, but that was you know it's funny last year we played Clemson and with that front four uh, of the Clemson Tigers probably the best front four, but then two weeks later we play Alabama and Jimbo says if you liked Clemson's front four he thought that Alabama's front seven was even better and last year there was that thought of oh well if you're going to get Alabama you're going to have to get that secondary they're the ones who are inexperienced. Well, they're inexperienced no longer. So that just that gives you that they are, you know, on that defensive end. And Tua Tungabaloa is just an outstanding quarterback. They have good rushers. I'm interested to see um, Irv Smith Jr., uh, what they do at tight end. I, I think that's a, that's a big loss. I think he, I, I, you know, any time that you have tight ends, look, the, the, the Aggies losing Jay Sternberger the same way. I think they're vital parts of that offense. But from Judy as a wide receiver, I, I mean, they are just loaded and they reload every year i think they absolutely have to be the favorite but jeff here's this even if they're not going to have talent everybody wants to beat alabama's brains in so they're taking everybody's best shot every week whether they have the talent or not but nick saban certainly has the talent what are your thoughts on lsu they do seem to be you know making some very good progress under ed orgeron very interested to see if they are truly changing their offense or not going to more of a spread offense. I think Joe Burrow is a terrific quarterback. Obviously, can, they can run. Look, that's a, that's a team that's always had great running backs. I think when it comes to quarterbacks, I've never felt like they had the marquee guy. They're guys who can run their, their offense. But, I, you know, you go back to that game, and if I divorce myself from being with A&M, there were so many big plays by both schools in the regulation and in uh, the overtimes. Uh, you know, they've always had great linebacking core, and obviously on the back end, they've always had great people. Here's why I say what I say, though. When you go into that spread offense, this is what hurt A&M under, under Kevin Sumlin. If that spread offense and you don't, if you don't have those long drives, your defense is on the field a lot longer. Case in point, two years ago, A&M under that spread, 
the, the, the offense time of possession was fewer than 30 minutes. Well, how many more possessions is that that your defense has to be on the field? How many times, think about the UCLA game two years ago. How many times was it a three and out, not running the ball, but passing the ball, that three plays, your defense that just got off the field has to come on? Maybe not in that game, but... Dave Elmendorf was telling me he thought that took its toll on the Aggies, and that's why they kind of sagged in November. Well, when you have the time of possession and the defense isn't on the field as long throughout the season, I think that's seriously something to look forward to this year with LSU. I, I know they want to... Um, and I don't even think it's an upgrade of the, of the offense. I've never had a problem with their offense. That's a team that's going to play for Ed O because he always gets his guys to play for him. But I'm interested to see. It, it could be a subtle change. If that defense is on the field a little bit longer, I think it can take its toll. Other than that, though, you know, you've, you've got to figure. You know, the Aggies fi- finished in second last year in the SEC West. Jimbo was thrilled for them after LSU, but he said, that's the last time we settle for second. But you know they're going to be battling. LSU is going to be battling for, if not that number one spot, that number two spot. That, that, there's so much talent on LSU, and they hit you with speed. I personally thought their defense reacted and got to the ball as quick as any defense we saw all of last season. Georgia is often a lot, a lot of folks figure them to be a contender for the college football playoff under Kirby Smart, and uh, they've done a they, they've done a remarkable job. They have to uh, seriously be contenders, and to come up short uh, this often has that's got to be the motivation for Georgia, does it not? This year, the Aggies play Georgia in Georgia, and that's how they they finish their season at Georgia at LSU. That's the crossover this year for uh, Texas A&M. Really interesting. Georgia is a team that there is always one week Georgia plays where you scratch your head and say, and I'm going to put a school in here. It doesn't have to be that. Like, like how are they losing to Vanderbilt? Or how did they lose to such and such team that you know that Georgia is better than? There's always that week they underachieve, and kind of, it's kind of been the Achilles heel. Mm-hmm. What week is that going to be? <laughs> that, that, that's, that's the whole thing. But they are, they are building themselves as if they're not playing just for the regular season. You know that they have plans to be in the SEC championship game, and you know that they have plans to be in the playoff, and you know they have plans to be in a, in a good in a good bowl game. They are they are that talented. There's there's I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, they've got a receiving core that they have to replace. They lost an awful lot from from their receiving core. Now by the time A and M plays them um, in November, just before Thanksgiving, obviously we'll know what kind of receiving core they have but from at at quarterback you've got the veteran there uh and he just keeps getting better i think they know how kirby smart coaches and what the expectations are there um you you have to expect georgia to be a contender missouri's kind of interesting story they're facing some sanctions uh that are being appealed uh, uh under head coach barry odom and uh they've got the kelly bryant transferring in from clemson they could be a team that could be a bit of the fly in the ointment kind of team, right? I think when you bring in a Kelly Bryant, and 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 I will say this: that Clemson may may have still beaten A and M last year, but if 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 they did, Kelly Bryant was a big reason why they beat A and M. The reason why I say this: Kelly Bryant and that experience, um, they played the perfect road game. 
The Tigers played from ahead than that entire game. And Trevor Lawrence wasn't Trevor Lawrence in week number two. He showed exactly who he was by, you know, throwing a 50-yard touchdown pass, but he also had a three and out where he missed a lot. I don't know how that would have been over the course of an entire game in week number two. I don't know if they win. They may still escape, but I think Kelly Bryant's a big reason why they won that game. Now you put that... And, and I think there are certain quarterbacks are winners, and I think Kelly Bryant is a winner. It's, it's interesting. Uh, Kellen Bond was saying Kelly Bryant is one of those guys that uh, that he's not so much looks up to but admires because of there is that leadership role, and he does get his guys to play for him. Now Missouri gets that. And um, Missouri has always um, – they're always they, they seem to be that team like do you want to trust them or not trust them mm-hmm. you know they're, they're that kind of team it's really interesting that the Aggies don't play I'm, I'm going to go off on this a little bit I kind of wish we would play Missouri a little bit more um, South Carolina is the Aggies uh, permanent crossover uh, but with Missouri and, and A&M being the two teams that, that came in most recently to the SEC it could have been a fun little a little rivalry yeah. between between those two schools but I, I love what I love what Kelly Bryant brings. I mean, does he have the strongest arm? No. Um, but he makes the right decisions. And uh, I, I'll put this back to A&M. Jimbo Fisher has talked time and again. The decisions you make on a third and long, fans may not like that Kellen Mond throws it away and they have to punt, but that's a better decision than an interception or forcing something. I think Kelly, Kelly Bryan is the one who's going to do that. You may say, man, the, the, the completion percentage, boy, that's not really great. But it's, it, did he make the right decision and either live to play another down or something like that? I think that's going to be very important for Missouri. Missouri and, and that's another team that lost some close games last year. Uh, you know, they, they were hit by Kentucky last year, a uh, game that they, that they let get away at home. I think Bryant brings an awful lot of that experience and leadership to the Tigers. And we'll touch on one more team here in the, the in the home state of Florida, the Gators, under Dan Mullen, and he can coach some offense. Me personally, I'm I, I'm I'm not so sold on Philippi Franks though. Uh, but Dan Mullen is, and and you know that that I think is the whole key. It, it, this is almost like free agents. You may not like a free agent, but they only need one team, right? Mm-hmm. To, to, to do that, <laughs> Dan Mullen is the one who needs to be. And I think I I, I really think Felipe is going through what Kellen went through. I think learning under Dan Mullen, I think that takes some time. And I think we've gone from oh, what do I do here to now I know what I do here, and then you get to you get to go to dip, you know to different levels but look i i don't think it's a very easy offense that dan mullen has I, I and i you know the running joke last year was that uh jimbo fisher they talk about him being a quarterback whisperer but it was travion williams who said look jimbo doesn't whisper anything <laughs> <laughs> and i wonder if it's the same thing but is is dan mullen so hard on a quarterback because he wants to get felipe to make the Make the right decisions. Sometimes an incompletion is the right decision. Sometimes throwing it away is the right decision. You don't have to force everything. You don't have to be the hero. There's that trust. So if they are on the same page, you know, I, I think what you said about Dan Mullen being so good offensively, I'm looking to see how much more comfortable 
Felipe Franks is in that in that offense. If he is comfortable, I think that's going to make him dangerous. The other thing I'm seeing from Florida, the speed is back, and they use the speed to their advantage. I think that has always been the decider. That has always been the separator. That's always been the difference of the successful Florida teams. Sometimes I thought they just had way more speed than their opponents. And one last thought, college football playoff. Um, you know, I, I think we're we're seeing a lot of fatigue with Alabama and Clemson. Do you see expansion happening? No, and the reason why I'm going to say that, uh, I, I it, if it, ha- I, I take that back. Ready? Take two. <laughs> it's, I don't think it's going to happen immediately. Okay. If it does happen, I think it's going to be down the line. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be until um, this contract runs out. Um, four seems to be the sweet spot uh, right now, and I'm not so sure that there is an outside entity, and I'm talking about whether it's bowls or whether it's networks because of you know signing with ESPN, is out there to shake things up because you're not going to have the other bowls that ESPN owns. They're not going to outbid the bowls that are currently in there right now will it would it have to be um a lesser bowl taking a gamble saying hey we will we will do this i think when it comes to the commissioners as much as the big 10 right now is not happy that they've been left out each of the last two years that the the pac-12 is looking for relevance they have been out i think we know that this is the sweet spot and what i found interesting um having to play a quarterfinal, semifinal, and final. Just adding that other week, there's the concern of creeping into when the NFL starts getting into the Saturdays. You're also getting into that as an extra day for the, the players so you don't have as much time after the final regular season game and that run-up to, to bowl time. I, I think there, there's, in, there's a little bit of that concern as well of, of, of adding you know, one, one more game. But I also don't know if they can, if they can find the money from those other bowls. They're kind of locked into all of those. I think, I think we're going to be with four for a little while and, and probably at least to when this, this current contract runs out. And do you think a group of five ever has any hope or prayer of breaking into that? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, I really don't. I really don't. And this is me. This is this is Andrew's thoughts right here. I think there may come a day when the sixty-four, and I don't know who those. I don't know who that sixty-four is. I wonder if we're ever going to have a super division one, mm-hmm. and they're going to say, you know what, we're just keeping all our revenue. Uh, you know. It's it, it will be Super Division One, Division One, and the old Division One AA. I know it's not that. I know it's football championship series and football. Yeah, it's one AA to me I, too. <laughs> I, I get that, but I wonder if the it and I and and I I just wonder if I, and I'm going to say haves and have nots, and they just say, you know what, we're not sharing any longer. This is just going to be us, and will there be a a Super Conference and how that plays out? I don't know, but I I, I think that the landscape. For the next television contract, and there, there might be something to that with the conferences. I, I think there's one more seismic shift uh, throughout, throughout college football and, and, and these conferences. It might not be until 2024, but I wonder if more things will be going behind the scenes for that. I could be dead wrong. Um, and I, you know what? I, what's, where I would hope that I am is I think we take the underdog out of it. Uh, and there's always, there's always that, well, 
I'm going to say UCF. Well, who did they play? Well, you can only win the schedule that you have, and then fans have to realize this happened to Boise State. This happened to Virginia Tech. It's happened to other schools. They look attractive until they start winning, and then other schools start backing out of those series because they don't want to lose. Mm-hmm. So how is it that school's fault when, when schools are backing out of a contract or, or pushing it farther down the line? I think you miss, you know, the, the Boise State's beating Oklahoma, um, you know, in the Fiesta Bowl. I, I think that's good for college football. I don't know if Western Michigan deserved to be in their bowl that they were in, but you know what? It's a pretty good story, and I think it's, that's, that's great for the student-athletes. But I think in the reality, no, I think it's always going to be Power 5 uh, versus Group of 5, and that, that Group of 5 is maybe every once in a while, but I, I just don't see them on e- equal footing. Okay, I'm starting a new feature on my show uh, with guests that uh, I'm just going to ask a random question, and you get to be the first. Um, oh, great! <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm the I'm the test rat. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what? Wait, I've known you long enough. I have no idea now what this question is going to be. <laughs> I, I I know that you you can think of. Okay, I'm ready. I'm yeah, ready. that's well, all I'm saying. I'm ready. As a as a guy <laughs> as a guy who's covered baseball. What do you think yeah. of robo umpires? Notice the pause. <laughs> I don't like that the human element's coming down. I'm not a big replay guy, Jeff. I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, I think neither, like neither, managing the game. Yeah, neither am I. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I don't like. I don't like that. You know, I understand things like. Let's let's tighten the game up along the lines of you know what you really should be touching the bag that in the neighborhood play, let's touch the bag on 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 a play and I get let's have a runner slide in you know into the base as opposed to being three body lengths away taking a guy out which I think one plays into the other if you're going to start taking me out I'm going to be in that in that neighborhood but I'm tired of this oh his his foot came off the bag for a fraction of a second so automatically he's, I don't like the micromanaging as I call it when it comes to robo ump man I think there's something too if you ticked off the umpire you better expect the next pitch to be a strike and if you are a really good hitter you get the benefit of the doubt if that if that's a borderline pitch. I I, I think there's I, look. It's played by humans at first, second, short, third, left, center, right, catcher, pitcher. Why can't we have the human element for umpire? I think I think replay should overturn the egregiously wrong calls and the bad calls. I don't think it's something that we should be so um, we should it shouldn't be relied on for that. But I guess you know. Uh, do I see it coming? I kind of do. I just hope it doesn't. Yeah, it's interesting because I like the human element as well, but then when you see guys like C.B. Buckner and Joe West and Angel Hernandez, you kind of think, hmm, maybe a robo-umpire wouldn't be so bad. You know, that that is when I do the 180 and I say, you know what, bring the robo up because I don't like that the, the umpires, the, those guys almost have the chip on their shoulder like they can't be wrong. Yep. You know, so that that to me, anybody in the robo-ump a cause, you bring up those names and it may be here sooner than we think. <laughs> well, Andrew, this has been a lot of fun. I always appreciate uh, spending time with you. Thanks for uh, giving us the lowdown on Texas A&M and SEC football. Absolute pleasure as always, my friend. Andrew Monaco, the voice of the Texas A&M Aggies. And a pretty stout fight song, too, as you hear here. Hear, hear, hear.
<laughs> By the way, also in the mix, a running back for the Aggies, former UCF running back Cordarian Richardson is uh, part of the Texas A&M squad and uh, looks to be in the mix to uh, get some playing time there. He, the, the big bruising back who uh, showed some nice flashes when he was here at UCF. Um, so as I'm putting the pod t- podcast together tonight, I'm, I'm uh, also looking out of the corner of my eye at the big screen at the uh, Miami Dolphins Tampa Bay Bucks game. And what I would also render as like the worst uniform game, <laughs> the Bucks uniforms are just absolutely horrendous. I mean, I can't think of any why anybody thinks those look good. They <laughs> who signed off on those? You know, either go back to the uh, the ones before that. You know, I like I like the creamsicle stuff. That wouldn't be bad to go back to either, since everybody's all nostalgic and everything. But uh, what they have now is just terrible. Um, Miami, when they, you know, they, when they don't wear their classic seventies throwbacks, which they really should go back to, and those are a sharp uniform, you know, this kind of off aqua thing they have with the, you know, the, the, you know, I don't know. I it just, it just, it's not a good look because you know, they can do better because they have done better <laughs> as we talk a little uniform game here. Interesting to note, you know, a lot of interesting things happened 50 years ago. So you you look back, 1969. Now you look back 50 years later. What a what a landmark year that was. Apollo 11 going to the moon. Woodstock 50 years ago this week. The big free love and music festival <laughs> and. On this date, 50 years ago, August 16th, 1969, the first issue of Sports Illustrated. And Sports Illustrated became the top sports magazine in America. And, also notably, brought us that beautiful thing we call the swimsuit issue. Thank you, SI, for that. You know, the magazine's certainly not what it was. You know, they've circulations down. They're, you know, cutting the amount of issues. It's, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, they just are not what they were. It just like many media outlets are not what they were. But uh, at one time, it was the juggernaut. And it's hard, uh, just comp- uh, interesting to comprehend 50 years ago today was their first ever issue. More college football talk for you, by the way, on my other podcast. As many of you know, I do the AAC Report on the Nightline Sports Network. And I've been doing team-by-team previews of the American heading through the month of August into the start of the season. And also had a special guest this past week, Tim Brando of Fox Sports. That was a tremendous uh, appearance by Timmy B., we talked UCF, the conference, Mike Oresco, and the college football playoff. And we know Tim Brando speaks highly against <laughs> the inequities of the college football playoff. Check that out on the Nightline Sports Network. And next week on this podcast, 
we're going to have a UCF roundtable. I've assembled uh, uh, various guys that uh, cover uh, the Knights in podcast and online form, and we'll be uh, getting down to business on that on the next episode. And with that, we are done here. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at JeffAllen underscore 88, on Facebook at JeffAllen88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer's Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog in the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at kramersalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E. LVE.net.